I'd like to draw your attention again to the picnic we'll be having next week at the park down the street, Woodbridge Park. Just a reminder uh, that if you're going to come to that, we'd like you to RSVP. Brian mentioned that we're going to be providing the food. So would you let Marina Morrow know? And her information is here on the flyer. Let her know if you're planning on coming. If you forget to RSVP, no problem. You're still welcome. But it'd be good for us to have an idea who's coming. Right after Brian read the sermon text, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I looked over, I leaned over to Avery and said, that's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. And I got this massive eye roll. It was beautiful. It was exactly what I was looking for. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, it's for us as well, he's been teaching us how to walk. He's been teaching us how to walk these past few chapters. And walk, that is Paul's metaphor for living the Christian life. He started back in chapter 4, verse 1, when he said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, he told us to walk in love to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. And part of living the way we should live as Christians means, he said this in chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Generally speaking, we have out of our love for Christ a willingness to put other Christians first, those in our church, those in our home, the one in our marriage. And so in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, Paul described submission in marriage, the submission of a wife to her loving husband, God willing, we'll see next week in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, Paul will describe the submission of a slave to his master. And now here today, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul describes the submission of children to their parents. Kids must obey and honor their mom and dad, and fathers must bring their children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I read a story this past week about Jerry Faust. Jerry Faust was the football coach for Notre Dame in the early 1980s. And there was a story of a recruitment visit that he went on in one particular offseason. And he showed up at the home. And mom and the, the recruit were inside, knocked on the door. And mom answered the door and invited Mr. Faust in. And there was some 
music playing in the background and, and mom went over and, and turned down the stereo. And this young man looked over to his mom and said, I told you not to touch the stereo, it's mine. Coach Faust walks up to the young man and with his forearm smacks him in the ribs the way one lineman would do to another, put his finger in his face and said, you should not talk to your mother like that. Turned around, walked out the door. They asked him about it later and he said, that young man is going to be a great football player, but we don't want him. Obedient and respectful children are a bedrock of any healthy society. It is, we'll be reminded today, it is the standard of a Christian home. And so Paul briefly, very briefly, just four verses, he lays out the right relationship between a child and a parent. Children must honor and obey their parents, and fathers must not be a hindrance, but a help. Before we go further, let's pause and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the words you have for us in your providence today, and we ask that you would use them for our good and for your glory. Help us to understand what you want from us why you want this from us, and how we might demonstrate our love for you more. We ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're using one of the church Bibles that you'll find in the seat back in front of you, today's text is on page 920. In this text, Paul addresses children in verses 1 through 3, and then he addresses parents, specifically fathers, in verse 4. So let's begin with what Paul has to say to children in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul speaks directly to children. Now, we're all children, but as you'll see in verse 4, Paul has in mind specifically children who are still in their parents' home. He speaks to them, which means that in the first century when this was written, that children would have been present in the worship service. There's a lot of children that have always been present and are present today in our worship service. We're really thankful for that. That was the expectation in the first century. They weren't in kids' church. Uh, they weren't even in a classroom. They certainly, they were not left at home. They were sitting there with mom and dad watching and listening being formed, being shaped by the word of God and by the worship of his people. 
Paul knows the children are in the room. He addresses them specifically. The custom was for this letter to be read out loud during a worship service. Children, Paul says, and here's how children ought to walk. Here's what children must do. They must obey their parents. Kids, this is your job. Your job is very straightforward to obey your parents. That is very easy to understand. It's difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. Parents, you remember being kids. Let's not kid ourselves. It is difficult to obey your parents. So kids, we get it. It is difficult to obey your parents, but it's easy to understand that that is what God wants you to do. Children are to submit to their parents in obedience. And they are to obey their parents, Paul says, in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. That means that kids, obeying your parents is one of the most important ways you love Jesus. One of the most important ways, if not the most important way, that you demonstrate your love for Jesus is by obeying your parents. If you are a Christian, and I hope that you are, then you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, like anybody you love, you want to please him. And so, out of your love for God, obey your parents. This is what Paul is saying. You obey your parents in the Lord. Next, Paul gives a couple reasons. A couple reasons why children must obey their parents. And the first is at the end of verse 1. If you get your Bible out, look at it with me. It's at the end of verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for or because, here's a reason, this is right. Paul does not say... Children, obey your parents because they are always right. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, obey your parents when you think they are right. Paul says, children, obeying your parents is the right thing to do. That's why he says to do it. This truth is written on our hearts. Everyone knows this. That is why, without exception, in every culture of the world, right? With or without a Bible, in every culture, the expectation is that children submit in obedience to their mom and dad. Everyone knows this is the right thing to do. Even Jesus, who was God, submitted to his parents. You'll remember that story in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus became separated from his parents in Jerusalem for three days. Can you imagine losing your child for three days? And when mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, found Jesus, they, they were not happy with Jesus. 
Just like you would not be happy with your son or daughter if they took off and went missing for three days. They were upset. So they took Jesus, and then verse 51 says, And Jesus went down with them, that is, his mom and dad, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Even Jesus, who was God, sets the example that it is right for children to obey their parents. So that's the basic command and reason. Let's move on to verses 2 and 3, where Paul quotes the Old Testament. He quotes from the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Here is the fifth. Here is the fifth commandment. Verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what is Paul saying? It's another reason to obey. Children, if you... Honor and obey your parents, it will go well for you, is what God says. That is true. This is, Paul says, a promise. If you, out of love for God, honor and obey your parents, it will go well for you. Proverbs picks up on this. It's actually, it's all over the book of Proverbs. One place is chapter 4, verse 10, where Solomon says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Honor your mother and father, that it may go well for you. Now, Paul doesn't say... Moses, inspired by God, writing in the Old Testament, doesn't say it will go perfectly. Doesn't say if you honor and obey your mom and dad, your life is going to go perfectly. He doesn't say you will not suffer. All of you kids, at some point or another, you're going to suffer. Some of you are going to suffer a lot. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say your life will go as planned. He doesn't say you will get everything that you want. That's not what he means. He says it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. The land meant Israel to the children of Israel that Moses was originally writing to. For you, it means the new earth. It means heaven. Children, this is what Paul is saying. If you disobey and dishonor your parents, your life will not go well. Not now. And not when you grow up. But, children, if by God's grace, as best you can, 
Out of love for God, you obey your parents, then God will bless you. He will take care of you. And you will live forever with him. Now, teenagers thought this week, because we have many teenagers in this church. And so I'm going to tease you teenagers just a little bit. And I'm doing that because I was a teenager once in a land far away, long, long ago. And we have, and we have three teenagers in our home. And I put this together. In three months, we'll have four teenagers in our home. That hit me today. And for, for me and my wife, despite what, despite what many people told us, not, not here, but just despite what many people told us, uh, the teenage years with our kids have been wonderful. They have been wonderful. I love my teenage boys. All that said, Teenagers, as you know, this verse is not talking to you. The obeying your parents, the honoring your parents, this is little kids, right? You know this is not talking to teenagers because one of the things that happens when you become a teenager is that your intelligence, it skyrockets. And parents, you remember going through this as a teenager. I mean, you see things almost, almost perfectly for those few years. And it's strange, but at the same time, your parents, bless their hearts, they, they, they can't keep up with that. They actually get dumber for a little while. My dad would say the craziest things to me. Son, I need you to do this. Dad, why do you need me to do this? Because I said so. Dad, can I go out? Can I stay out this late? This was one of my dad's favorite things that he used to say. No, you can't stay out late. Why not? Because you're burning the candle at both ends. What does that even, what does that mean? I still don't know what that means. I say it to my kids, but I have no idea what, what that means. But, and this is a really big but, right? But I realize now that my dad did not have half the things wrong I thought he did. So in all seriousness, many of you teenagers, including my boys, you are, and we're very thankful for this, you are professing Christians. You have heard the gospel, and you believe it. You, you love God. You're immature, just like your mom and dad were. You're immature. You're growing. 
Your faith is small, but it is very sincere. The more difficult it is to honor and obey your parents, and I think it's most difficult when you're a teenager. But the more difficult it is to honor and obey your parents, the more you need God's grace. The more difficult it is to honor and obey your parents, the more you need God's grace. And the more difficult it is to honor and obey your parents, the greater the opportunity you have to demonstrate your love for and your faith in God. Because there will be many times you don't want to obey your parents. There will be many times you don't think your parents are right. Listen, there will be many times your parents are not right. And it will need to be for some other reason, namely, your love for God and your faith in God that you obey your mom and dad. When you do, that is for your good And that is for God's glory. Okay, that covers children. Now Paul turns to the parents, and specifically, assuming that there is a a mom and a dad in church, he turns to the parent who is ultimately, ultimately responsible, and that would be the father. According to Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, God is looking. He brings a husband and a wife together. One reason that he is looking for, do you remember? Godly offspring. Not just offspring, but godly offspring. Well, once you have kids, moms and dads, once you have kids who are, Psalm 123, a gift from God, how are they going to go from being offspring to being godly offspring, from just children to being godly children? The kinds of kids that obey and honor their parents. Well, that is why Paul says what he says next in verse 4. And in verse 4, he says two things to fathers. First, He tells dads what not to do. That is how you could hinder dads. How you could be an obstacle. How you could be a stumbling block. First, what not to do. And then he tells fathers what to do. And that is how they might help. So first... Look at verse 4 with me. Here's what fathers must not do. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this doesn't only apply to fathers. It's not as if Paul is saying, dads, don't provoke your kids. Moms, go for it. That's not why Paul says it this way. Moms and dads alike, you know this, are capable of provoking their kids. And when we do, it is wrong. So why fathers? 
Why is Paul going after the fathers here? Well, remember, back in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, the home is, the Christian home is to be ordered in such a way that it recognizes that the husband, the father, if there's kids in the home, that he is the head of the house. And that means that he is responsible to lead the home, which means that the father will be taking a lot of initiative with the kids. The father will be taking a lot of initiative with the kids. And as fathers take initiative in the home, here's first what they must not do. And of all the things that Paul could say, and he doesn't say a lot, think about that. How many scriptures can you think of that just have something to say instructionally to fathers? There are not many of them. So of all the things that Paul could tell fathers not to do, here's what he says not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. Well, what does that mean? To provoke. To provoke means to speak or behave in such a way that stirs something up. And in this case, anger. To provoke is to speak or to behave in such a way that you stir something up. Our family lives over here in West Roseville. We live in a a rural area. And this past week, I had to build a fire to burn some old tree trimmings. And I did it in the evening. It's a great big fire. And then we let the fire die out and went to bed. And when I came out to that fire in the morning, all, all there was that I could see was just this pile of ash. There was no fire and there was no smoke. But beneath that insulating layer of ash were hot coals. And all I needed to do to restart that fire, and I did, was to walk over and grab a rake come back and stir up and shake off that ash and those hot coals burned again. Fathers, your kids are like those hot coals on a cold morning. It does not take much to start a fire. There kids. They don't have the maturity that you should have. They don't have the ability that you have, which by the way is why kids are not commanded not to provoke their parents. <laughs> that is not a verse because the assumption is that parents, you can control yourself. You're not, you're not provocable. 
but these are kids. Children are easily provoked. It doesn't take much to start a fire, and so you need to put away, dads, the rake and not stir this up. My wife and I have been really helped over the years by an author named Lou Priolo, and in one of his books, he gives a long list of ways that parents provoke their children. We've read through the list several times. If you want the list, by the way, just shoot me an email. But let me rattle off a bunch of them right now. Here are ways that parents can provoke their children. Some of them might not be as obvious to you. Lack of marital harmony. Modeling sinful anger. Consistently disciplining in anger. Scolding, which means angry correction. Being inconsistent with discipline. Having double standards. Not admitting when you are wrong. Constantly finding fault. Not listening to the child's opinion or side of the story. Comparing children to others. Not having time to talk. Not praising the child. Failing to keep promises. Giving too much freedom. Not giving enough freedom. Having unrealistic expectations. So dads, here's the point. You have this this interaction with your kids. And afterwards, they are angry. Or they are discouraged. That may not be on you. It may not be on you that they're angry or discouraged. But because of this verse in Ephesians, dads, you must Examine yourself. Maybe you sinned. I know I have many times. Maybe you sinned against your son or daughter. You were quick to speak and slow to listen. You cut them off, maybe. You lost your temper. Maybe you showed favoritism. Maybe you embarrassed them. Dads, if you did, you should apologize. You should look them in their eyes and say specifically what you did and acknowledge that it was wrong and ask them to not hold it against you. Maybe you didn't sin against your son or daughter. Maybe you were just foolish. Maybe there is a way you can talk to, if you've got more than one child, Parents, you've learned this. Maybe there's a way that you can talk to this kid, but you can't talk to that kid that way. So maybe you're just foolish. There's a verse in Colossians that says almost the exact same thing. It's in chapter 3, verse 21. It's just a little different. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Same thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So the outcome is different, but the problem in both cases is fathers provoking their children. And so it's been my experience that depending on the child, when provoked, they will either become angry or discouraged. It depends on the child. Some will rise up in anger against you, and some will melt in discouragement. Dads, you want to avoid both. So dads, Paul says, do not be a provoker. 
And think about how God leads us. His leading of us is firm, right? He doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't sweep anything under the carpet. But his tone is kind. It's patient. It's tender. So fathers, we've got to emulate that. That's what a father must not do. He must not provoke his children. And then instead, here's what a father must do. Second part of verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pull that apart one phrase at a time. First, Paul says, bring them up, which means to physically and spiritually nourish your children, to bring them up, to prepare them to one day live as an independent, God-honoring adult. Proverbs 22, verse 6, same idea, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Bring them up, Paul says, how? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this often gets misunderstood. Fathers, when we hear the word discipline, we tend to think of one kind of discipline, but this is not referring to corrective discipline here. This is formative discipline. It's not corrective discipline which corrects bad behavior. That's a thing. But this is formative discipline which forms good behavior. It is the same word that many of you know used in 2 Timothy 3.16, talking about the usefulness of the word of God. Let me show you where that word is in that verse. This word discipline here is translated in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for discipline. There it's translated training for righteousness. Bring your children up in this discipline. We want to form, what that means, dads, we want to form good behavior in our kids. We teach our kids how they should live. Son or daughter, this is how a Christian lives in this world. This is how you should think, and this is how you should talk, and this is how you should act as a Christian in this world. But, and this is a big problem, and this is why the instruction is necessary, we don't want merely good behavior. 
We don't, fathers, want to train our kids to merely be righteous. This is how you live as a Christian in this world. We're not after outward behavior modification. Because it is possible, if you haven't realized this, it is possible to have children who know the verses, who read the Bible, and who have all the right answers, but whose hearts are far from God. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the famous pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia in the 40s and 50s, one time he said this in a sermon when he was describing what his town would look like if Satan took over. And what he said is probably not what comes to your mind. It's not what came to my mind. But here's his description of what the town would look like if Satan took over. He said, If Satan took over Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed. Pornography would be banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would all say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. The churches would be full every Sunday in churches without the gospel. In churches where Christ is not preached. That is why instruction is necessary. Discipline, training in righteousness is dangerous without gospel instruction. A how without a why prepares our kids only to comply. A how with a why prepares our kids to faithfully live and die. And you know the answer to the why. Christian parents, you know the answer to the why. We obey, that's the how, out of love for God, that's the why. He is worthy of our love and our obedience. He has been good to rescue us from our sin. And the more that we understand this, the more we are provoked to love and good works. The more we understand God's love for us, the more we are stirred up to love and good works. Your goal in parenting is not polite, sweet, well-mannered, religious children. Some of you are thinking, whew, that's not what I have. (laughs) Well, that could be good news. That could be bad, too. But it's good news. That is not the goal of parenting, is not to have polite, sweet, well-mannered, religious children. The goal is not children who look good. 
The goal is children who are good. The goal is not children who look like the kind of person who loves Jesus. The goal is children who grow up to love Jesus. We don't want kids who are Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees. And one of the ways that Jesus described them is they're like this cup. They're like this cup who that looks really clean on the outside. That's what a beautiful cup. What a great cup. But inside the cup, it's filthy. It's dirty. It's useless. We have a child in our home who shall remain nameless. But he likes to clean his room like a little Pharisee. You walk in this room, and everything looks pretty good. But the Lord God help you if you look under his bed. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Our goal is to have a child who is, is like the messy room, but there's no rotten fruit under the bed. This is why we fathers train our children in the way they should go to train them up in righteousness, but we instruct them in God's truth and God's word that they understand. And so, fathers, we bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, the exhortations are, are really clear. This is an exhortational text. Children, do this. Fathers, don't do this. Do this. And it's really, it's really clear. So let me close with just brief encouragement. Encouragement for us kids, encouragement for us parents, encouragement especially for us fathers. Remember that God is not looking, though sometimes it could feel this way, God is not looking for or expecting perfect children or perfect parents. And thank goodness because this room is filled with, with kids and parents and parents who used to be kids who, who fail a lot and who come up short a lot and who don't live the way that we should. What God is looking for is faithful parents. What God is looking for is faithful children. Or another way to think about that is moms and dads and kids who know the gospel. Moms and dads and kids who understand that I'm not saved because I do a good job at this or that. I'm saved because God has loved me and saved me. And now out of love for him, I live to please him. We know and believe that Jesus came, that he lived, that he suffered, that he died, 
that he rose from the dead in our place. That he lived, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3, as a child, he lived perfectly. We understand that he is a perfect father. And that he lived perfectly in my place. That his account would be accredited as my account. And we believe that not only did he live in our place, but that he died in my place. I mean, I've lived the way that I've lived, and it does not deserve love from God. It deserves condemnation from God. And so Christ in our place paid the price and suffered and died that we might be saved. We come to know this. You kids growing up in Christian homes are among the most blessed in history. Hearing this good news, hopefully, over and over and over again, you hear and know this great love of God. You believe this, and now out of love for God, you want to walk, live in a way that pleases him. So God's call is very serious, how we ought to live before him. But his comfort is also serious. And that is that his grace is sufficient. Before we take communion together, I'll read these verses again that the same author writes to the Corinthians in in chapter 11. And then in just a moment, many of us are going to stand up and come forward and take this bread and juice and formally, visibly remember and celebrate what Christ has done. So here are Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and following. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're visiting here today, you're welcome to take communion with us if you're a Christian. If you are a baptized believer, you've turned from your sin, you've placed your faith in Christ, committed yourself to him and to his body, his people. So you're a part of this church or maybe another one you're visiting from that preaches the same gospel that you heard here today. If that describes you, you're welcome to take communion with us. We'll have leaders up front to serve we ask you come forward through the center aisles and then take the bread and juice and return to your seat and then wait, and we'll take it together as a church family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for giving us your word, specifically your word today that we would know how to live 
Thank you for giving us these keys to a good home, to a, a good marriage, to a good family. Give us the grace to do this. We love you. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. And in Jesus' name, amen.